Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change, but your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting, in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the green room. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we're going to take a look at a very personal and introspective album from 1981 that features a hit song that has recently seen a major resurgence in popularity and exposure due to a slew of those reaction videos that you see posted all over YouTube. We're going to talk about the song. We're going to talk about the album that it's from and also how many millions of views this reaction video has gotten. Stay tuned. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Kuber share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome to the 3324 Podcast. My name is Dean. I'm here with Eric. Hi. How you doing? Good, good. We're going to be talking about that album, like we said, from 1981. And it is the debut album from Phil Collins called Face Value. So what we're going to do is we're going to get you set up with some of the vital stats. So you got a little background on on the album. And uh, then we'll go from there. So came out in, in 1981. And the chart performance, it, it hit number seven. Uh, on the Billboard charts, so so definitely a, a top ten release, mm-hmm. not too bad. Number one in the UK and Canada, yeah. So not yeah, too big, shabby big, there. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, overseas mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. He's from England, so. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it spawned two hits, and oddly, I, I love this kind of a statistic that <laughs> that I'm going to give you is I love when albums or or chart hits like hit the same number. It's it's I find it really strange. But in this case, there was two singles released from this album, right? It was In the Air Tonight mm-hmm. and I Missed Again were the two singles. They both hit number 19. I, I always find that weird. Yeah. Like how, how, like, like how do they both land on the same number? One couldn't go one more or one couldn't go one less. Right, right. It did, oddly enough, it, it, it in the Billboard, uh, I think it was the top 200, it peaked at 19, but on the rock charts in the air tonight would reach number two. So, so the FM radio, I mean, you know, it was heavy airplay with this song and we'll get into that in, in, in a few minutes. Yep. So, yep. Yeah. And then, and then uh, the um, album sales, I mean, currently it's, it's five times platinum. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, a platinum is a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it went five over and, and it actually reached that milestone in 1999. So this was not a 5 million out of the gate 
album, but right. you know, it, it did hit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final stat we're going to leave you with, it was, it was produced by Phil Collins with, with you Padgham assisting, mm-hmm. um, which, which we'll also probably get onto also. So there, mm-hmm. there's your vital stats. You've got a little background about the nuts and bolts of it. So I'm, I'm going to lay this album at, at your feet because I was not certainly not into Phil Collins. I was certainly not into Genesis. So really the only reason I got into Phil Collins slash Genesis was because of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, came at, at exactly, you know, I think it was Abacab that actually I got into first. I heard it. Certainly there's some, there was some airplay from some of the tracks from that album. Actually two of the tracks that didn't make the album was played constantly on, on WNEW, which I loved, which was paper late. And uh, you might re- a song called "You Might Recall," which is one of my favorite tracks. Yeah, face value came to me fairly early on. I, I you know, I was fourteen. This album uh, really it hit me like like a ton of bricks. I, I I really enjoyed out the gate how it how personal it was. And at that point, you know, for me, music was more about sound. It was more about melody. It was more about uh, interesting drum sounds and that kind of thing. But this this is probably one of the first albums in my youth where I actually cared about what the songs had to say, lyric-wise. And, and this is an album about, you know, divorce. It's about, you know, a lot of stuff was going on and Phil's, at, at this point, I really didn't know that at the time, you know, he was going through a divorce. And this was the first time he actually wrote, seriously wrote some songs. Yeah. They were they were love letters to his wife. They were you know, you know conversations like phone conversations that he was having. A little bit of backstory here is you know Phil was the drummer for Genesis. You know mm-hmm. when Peter Gabriel was the vocalist. You know and then in 1975 Peter Gabriel left the band. Phil took over on lead vocals, but still at that point was not really writing songs himself. Mm-hmm. It was mostly Mike and Tony and uh, guitarist Steve Hackett, and um, Phil really never felt like this was me. Like, he would sing the songs, but he only he only cared about how the song sounded with his voice mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So in 1978, there was an album called And Then There Were Three, when Steve Hackett left the band and Mike took over on all the guitar duties, and it was just a trio. That's when he was having problems with his wife because there was a major tour for that album, and his wife wouldn't have it. He goes, if you if you go on this tour, I am not going to be there when you get back. Um, and Phil actually, and she, she took the kids, moved to Vancouver, Canada, and Phil basically said to Mike and Tony, "Look, I I I have to do this. I have to move there. I have to see if I can salvage my marriage." They let him go. In the interim, they actually it gave them opportunity to to record some solo work as well. You know, things obviously didn't work out. Um, he tried to move back to England and it was that point where he was to bring the wife back with the kids and, and things just fell apart from there. And, you know, it was that point when he was actually, you know, trotting down songs and recording them in his attic studio with his little eight track machine. Yep. And that's where a lot of these songs were born. And and you were really, really into him yeah. b- back in the day. I mean, that was really what, what kind of piqued my interest is I, you know, I had my own thing going, I had stuff that I was into and then like out of nowhere, you know, I didn't really know anything about Phil Collins or Genesis and and you Mm -hmm. just really kind of picked up on it and was really kind of exposing me to it. 
So by, by the time I had gotten, quote unquote, gotten into Phil Collins, I, I think I think it was when his second album came out, when Hello, I Must Be Going. I remember getting that on cassette. I think I remember that, like getting it at Sam Goody. Yeah. And and I devoured that album. I was like, wow. <laughs> like like that was for me, like my, my first real introduction to him as a solo artist. And and then I did like what I call like the second album backtrack. Like then I went back sure. to the, yeah. to the yeah. first album and and thankfully the second album was enough like the first that it was very easy to consume there wasn't this big like different change in style or different change in sound it was an, it was an enhancement but right. to be able to go back to that first album uh was it was a real treat and and yes. something that was really special so you know with your influence and then me finally g- getting into it because i certainly was by no means into genesis either until i got exposed to that right. through you Mm-hmm. Like you said, Abacab, and right around all that time, there was so much, yeah. so much material that was coming out from either Phil Collins or Genesis that really there was, there was a lot to pick, and and it was very different also. So it wasn't yes. like, wasn't like listening to Genesis was like listening to Phil Collins, although there were some all. similarities that you know the the solo stuff really was was the outlet for him, yeah, to, was, to express himself. Right. Well, this album was really a departure from what Genesis was doing up to that point. I mean, they were still very, very prog, you know, long-winded, you know, soloing and and sort of these, you know, talking about like, you know, magical creatures in the woods and that kind of thing, which I, you know, I, I that was, to me was my, you know, as a kid, that was my sort of my escape. I would escape, you know, in with my headphones and escape in, in my room and just listen to this weird, I, I loved all the prog rock, Groups of the day, Pink Floyd, Genesis, yes, King Crimson, ELP, you know, so I was really taken. But with Genesis, I always I found there was something unique about their music in the sense that they had very, very strong melodic hooks to their music. It wasn't sort of like them playing over one another, bombastic, like these you know, long virtuistic, you know, kind of things like the other guys were doing. They were really respectful of one another and how they 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 managed to kind of you know, work together. All of a sudden, this guy comes out with this album that is very R&B influenced. There's a lot. It's, it's so eclectic. It is remarkably eclectic. It's pretty much all the things that Phil Collins likes. Okay. This is the, the you, for, you, 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 you get a sense of what he was into as, uh, you know, growing up. And so there's Beatles influence on this album. There's, you know, there's, there's the R&B there's you know slight sort of Motown. There, there, there might be, there, and and there is some prog on here as well. In the air tonight, his rendition of "Tomorrow Never Knows." They both anchored the album. Those are those that has those prog influence on him. Working with Brian Eno, working with Peter Gabriel on his solo record. Yeah, so let's talk about Peter yeah. Gabriel real quick. Yeah, okay. I want to. I want to jump. I actually want to jump back to to the history when you were talking about how. Peter Gabriel, a lot, a lot of people only know Peter Gabriel as a solo artist and as, you know, uh, Sledgehammer and Red Rain and In Your Eyes and all that kind of stuff. But as the lead singer of Genesis, you know, he kind of drove the the look of the band. He really was was the, the literally the front man who would really dress up into, in different costumes and, and yes. play different characters. So I, I think I read somewhere back in the day that when Peter Gabriel did leave and, and Genesis was starting to search for a new uh, singer... Mm-hmm. You know, Phil Collins was 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 kind of filling in reluctantly, kind of singing the songs. And there, right. and I, I think the story went. I think I read is that they were saying like Phil Collins sounds more like Peter Gabriel than Peter Gabriel sounded like him. They're like their voices were very similar, but not a copy. 
where he right. was able to emulate the 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 style and and the intent of Peter Gabriel without yes. sounding exactly like him. P- uh, Phil did a lot of backing vocals on on those albums as well, so he was already a singer. I mean, he was singing. Um, he even he even sang lead in a couple of tracks. But yeah, you, you're right. Um, he he was it was you know he was like I'm just the drummer. I don't. He was actually joking with the band, saying we should just carry on as an instrumental band. And they kind of like were like, what? You know, no, that's not going to happen. So he he kind of felt like you know. So they I guess they auditioned quite a few singers. You know, he was not the first choice, and I think it was. It might have been. I, I think I heard a story. It was uh, Steve Hackett really prompted you know, Tony and Phil to, I mean, Tony and Mike rather to hire him as the singer and John Anderson of yes, also was, had a little bit of a contribution there. Cause he, he, he recommended Phil. He goes, he's got a beautiful voice. You guys should go with Phil Collins. Yeah. And, and you and know, that's what? how it went. You know that that certainly makes it a lot easier for a band because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about like auditioning. You don't have to worry about the guy learning the stuff. You don't have to worry about, Right. Am I get, are we going to get along with him? Is this guy new guy a jerk? Or we, you know, we've been together so long, so it's right. really fortuitous for for Genesis. <laughs> yes. That you know they were able to quote unquote promote from within. You know, like yeah. the, the 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 guy that was like in the back gets promoted to 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 the, to the front man. So right. it kind of worked. That you don't really see stuff like that happening usually. When when bands go through that, they replace a singer. You know, they get yeah. someone else like Van like Van Halen. They get S- Sammy Hagar or ACDC. You know, they get Brian Johnson. Like it's a replacement, not a promotion. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, so I, I, thought that, I, I thought that was great for them. I, I absolutely. I don't know if it, you could call it. I mean, they obviously they were you know now challenged with a whole new set of things to with well, they they you know in the live setting, he certainly couldn't sit behind the drum kit. You know, he had to be the front man now. And that's something that I think he wasn't really used to in this, in that sense. So he had to kind of develop his own sort of performing style. He was not going to wear the costumes like Peter Gabriel did. He was not going to be that. So, you know, the, the stage presentation changed when Phil took over. And they had to get another drummer. You know, they had to have somebody to fill in. And, you know, and, and we, know, so- we, we know who that was. So, uh, Mr. Chester Thompson, Mr. Is, Chester Thompson, yeah, right? Yes, because we, yes. uh, you, you, me, and another friend of ours uh, chased Chester Thompson <laughs> down down an alley after Phil Collins yep. show. We we saw that's right, Radio we, City. Yeah, we saw yep. we saw Phil Collins at Radio City with the Hot Tub Club. So that was his <laughs> No Jacket Required tour. Yeah, yeah. And we we left, and I don't know. I don't even remember how we went around the back. I don't even know where the back of radio city is to find it, right. but we were, we were somehow around the back and I, I forgot. I don't know if it was you or, or our friend Johnny He's like, Oh my God, there's Chester Thompson. He was like walking down the street, like just some guy. Cause really, he's really not really known. Right. And we're running out. We just start running out. Like three guys just start running down the street after this guy, like Chester, Chester. Yes. And and he and he stopped and and he signed our 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 ticket stubs. You know. So that was you know. I, I'll never forget that the Chester. I actually, Thompson well, stuff. I actually got the entire band. You know, of course, I didn't get Phil Collins' autograph, but I got the whole band. I managed. I have. I think I still have the tour program somewhere. So yeah, I, that's. But uh, yeah, Chester Thompson uh, steeped in. Uh, his background is a lot of jazz fusion yep. played with uh, weather report for a while. Um, so the, the chemistry was there because Phil 
his drumming style brought something to Genesis that, you know, that really perked the music up. It, it gave them a groove. It gave them more of a sort of a, a jazzier feel. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they have really, really appreciated that in Phil, you know, when they hired him on. Um, so the chemistry was there between him and Chester and, and, and the stage presentation, the whole dynamic changed yep. when you had two drummers because Phil would still play. I mean, there were times where he just, you know, do his thing, run behind the drum kit, and then they do these, go off on these like drum duets, and it was amazing. It was that was just for me the best part of the show, you know, is to watch them both go at it and that kind of thing. So, so let's let's set the stage for, yeah. for this album. Yeah, right. So so we've got the what what Phil Collins was was steeped in and where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. And and previous to this, right? There's no. This was his first solo album. So the the previous release to this was a Genesis album called Duke, which came out in 1980. Yes. Um. And and there is gonna, you know, Duke will play just a little bit of a a part in Phil Collins' solo album because mm-hmm. there is a song from Duke that Phil Collins decided to redo for his album. And it, the other, the obviously the Genesis version was very Genesis. Uh, and, and which is nothing wrong. It's, it's actually not very Genesis. It's, 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 it's in the Genesis style, but then Phil Collins takes it and and he adapts it to what he is going through or, or what kind of musical journey he's going on, which is very different from, yes. from what Genesis was doing. And, well, and that, that song is behind the lines, behind the lines. Behind the okay? lines. So, so, so you st- can, the story is there is that they were, going through some tracks, they were cleaning up, you know, some of the stuff that they were working on. Um, in certain cases, they were like rewinding the tapes and that kind of thing. So they sped up the song on the tape and they, they listened to it and they played it and they were like, wait a minute, that sounds pretty good. Let's play that back. And they played it at high speed. So it had those, like those punchy, you know, gr- you know, sort of grooves of it. And they, and they, even Mike Rutherford, you know, says that that was really cool. So Phil took that and did this sort of jazzier, version of it and he added um the 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 horn section from earth wind and fire and that was the big that was a big deal so yes yeah so so there's something neat that there's something neat that everybody can do is is go on spotify or or wherever you get your music go go you know look up duke by genesis listen to that one for maybe listen to that one first before you before you listen to this album you can kind of there's nothing it's like a five minute song but but yeah. the beginning part is is mainly instrumental, kind of almost like an instrumental build up to to the actual song. So it's 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 it, it fits it fits with the song because it's it, the instrumental stuff is in the vein of of the the key and and everything. So it's not something weird, and then the song starts. It really does flow into it. Right. Um, and then when you get into when you when you listen to face value, um, you'll hear what Eric is talking about. How it, it it's it's definitely sped up, but it's not fast. It's not like Chipmunky. Yeah. But it's just a different a different tempo and a, and a totally different vibe, which which that vibe is is kind of something that really flows throughout this this album, mm-hmm. um, and and it's something that it really which which grabbed me about this album is is the vibe, so so yeah let let's 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 get into it. Okay, so um, getting back to Duke, I have to I, I have to I have to point out too that there were two other songs on Duke that Phil actually wrote for the first time, Misunderstanding was the hit from that record, which if you listen to Misunderstanding, sounds nothing like the rest of the album. You know, it, it, it's, it's almost sort of a funky, to me, it sounds, he lifted the, the, the uh, uh, it's a Sly in the Family Stone, um, Hot Fun in the Summertime. 
that's what it sounds like to me. Why, how he even got away with it. Cause to me, the baseline and that is exactly the same. So I, I, I don't, you know, he never got in trouble for it or nothing, but to me, it sounds exactly this, you know, like, so that was a song that was recorded in as a home demo for at that point. I didn't even know he was even making a solo record. He always wanted to, but that, be, that became one of the songs that he, he actually introduced to the rest of the, you know, to Tony and Mike. And they liked that one. So they picked that one for, for Duke. And there's a song called Please Don't Ask, which is possibly his most personal song. And it's a ballad. And it's just, you know, talking about his wife and his kids and missing his kids. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. I urge, you know, you guys check that one out as well. It's a, it's a gorgeous ballad. Probably one of my favorites that he's ever done. And he's done a lot. <laughs> so yeah. the story goes too is that he did play in the air tonight for them, but Phil says no, I did not play that for them. Tony says yes, you did. Oh, I- I'm sorry. No, Phil says he did play it for him, and Tony says no because if if we had if I had heard the song, we would have used that song for Genesis. So a little a little, a little conflicting uh, yeah. memories on that, right? So so yeah, so so th- this is the the lead up is his divorce. Uh, from his first wife or the troubles they were going through it, which would lead to divorce. Mm-hmm. And this was really Phil Collins therapy and his catharsis to get through this. Yes. And when you, when you listen to this album, you know, when I first listened to it, when it came out and when I would get into it, you know, it, I, I didn't really connect to it on, on that level. When I went to go listen to it now, um, and, and we're going to talk about a song that actually gave me chills when I heard it, but it's probably not one of the songs you would think. I, I think when you give it a listen, you really want to kind of kind of pay attention. It's not some of the stuff's overt, and some of the stuff is is not so much. But you can really hear much much different than the way his career would go. Uh, I'm glad this was his first album because Absolutely. it got the it got the the serious listening to that it deserved. Because as his career went on, you know, he kind of you know the overexposure took took. Kind of well, took hold, it. and it was harder for people to really kind of take them seriously. So, yeah. you know, th- this album is really a, a good statement, and 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 really him really got striking out on his own. Yeah, it, 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 there there is uh, a sincerity to this record for his you know for his debut that you know it's honest. It's his most honest piece of work. You know, he he would go on to do the same type of thing, like the and it would it just wouldn't feel quite the same at least for me. This for me is the only album, you know, that I, that I truly listen to. I don't really listen to much of his later stuff. I mean, there, but you know, even with those albums, there's always, a, you know, you can always count on at least one or two really good songs off of those records. So you oh, can absolutely. Just basically just absolutely. make a great pay- playlist of Phil Collins material, but this album, every song, I, I can't, I can't, I, there's not a bad song on the, on the record at all. Okay. Like let's, I said before, and like, you know, at an age of 14, why am I listening to this album, you know, about divorce and all this stuff? Why did it, why did it appeal to me? I have no idea. I really don't. Some people say have, that I have like an old soul kind of thing going on. I don't know, but it's so like, why was I, wasn't I listening punk rock? I was listening to this album and it really, I, you know, I really took to it. It's, I have a really good uh, soft spot for it. So yeah, and it's 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 not a it's not a difficult listen, but it it will challenge you. So there's a difference between yeah. something difficult and something challenging you. Yeah, yeah. But let, let's kind of yeah, let let's kind of mm-hmm. get the elephant in the room out of the way, and that's in <laughs> that's in the air tonight. Okay, everybody knows this song. Everybody plays air drums to it. You know, it's part of the the psyche. 
and it's part, and especially now more than ever. And we'll we'll talk about the reaction videos a little later. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's kind of the way I looked looked at this, and the way I look at it now is listening to In the Air tonight does does certainly does not encapsulate this album whatsoever because it's nothing like that in in my mind. What this is like listening only to In the Air tonight on this album is kind of like ringing the doorbell of someone's house but never going inside. Like you need to get past this song to really see everything else that that's behind it because it really is. There's so much other stuff that is behind it that this song is so big that it almost eclipses everything and and makes everything else seem a little less, but it's not, there's so much other stuff in there that's going on. So, so yeah, in the air tonight is going to be the opening track. We, we all know it. It, uh, He didn't, Phil Collins didn't kill somebody. Somebody wasn't drowning. <laughs> Phil Collins didn't push a guy into the into the river or whatever the, the or these urban legends are. If, if that happened and he conf- and he confessed to it, yeah, you know, I, I don't know that he'd still be around if he did that. And no, I'm no. sure somebody would have known that that a rock star killed somebody and, no. and drowned them and pushed them in the water or whatever it was. He he's, <laughs> at the time he the, the story is is that I mean obviously he was he was bitter. It's a bitter song. It is, you know, there's, you know, as he would put it, there's menace to it, but he pretty much improvised the lyrics and he's very proud of that. Actually, when he was like recording the demo, he 99% of those lyrics, he just made up on the spot. So when people ask him, what's the song about? He's like, I have no idea. That's his answer. I have have no idea what the song's about. It was, it was, it was spontaneous. It was, and and I'm proud of it, but I have no, I, no clue as to what it's about. But there yeah, is and, bitterness. There is, you know, definitely the it's more of the mood of the song than the lyrics, you know, that that really sort of matches what's what's to come on the record in terms of his personal feelings and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. And, and the funny thing about this is when I went to go listen to this recently just for, for the show, mm-hmm. I, I put it on and I'm listening to it through my speakers and I didn't even I didn't even get halfway through in the air tonight and for some reason i i don't know why i i turned it off i'm like i need to listen to this with my headphones on not because i wanted to hear in the air tonight with you know i don't know what there was it was something compelling me i said put put the headphones on and go like somewhere quiet thank you and listen to it and and (laughs) turn the lights off (laughs) and i'm telling you it, it it had this listening to it had 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 an effect on me in a weird way because I've heard this album dozens, however many times, mm-hmm. but I I actually got chills at at different parts of this album because I was just because I just let myself kind of go go for the ride on it. I wasn't trying to like think about the next song or think about what was coming next because I knew what was coming next. I just kind of like was was really as close as I've ever come to having something as be a fresh listen. Mm-hmm. Which was amazing. Yeah. So, so you get through in the air tonight, and and then you know the the second song is so important because, like I said, if if in the air tonight is the is the doorbell, this must be love, which is the second song, is is going into the house. And yeah, it, you you know the thing I love about this album is the bass playing. Mm-hmm. I this like there is such great clear bass playing on this and and you can really enjoy like i i really enjoy listening to this album for for the for the lyrical content but also for what phil collins was able to pull off on his first album 
of such a complete thought of of what the feel he was going for, mm-hmm. and and this must be love. Real, I think this must be love probably encapsulates this album better than in in the air tonight. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll agree to that. And it's a positive song. It's like one of the only songs that it's actually about him finding a new love. So when you when you say you know entering the house, so to speak, it's a welcome. That's like the greeting. That's like, hey, welcome to my house, kind of thing. Let me get your drink. Let's sit down and hey, you know. And then you laugh a little, you know. But yeah, that definitely has that vibe and the great groove uh, by Alfonso Johnson on bass on that song. Yeah, and and that was what you know a really smart mm-hmm. move by Phil Collins mm-hmm. was get, getting pros to do this. He he knew yes. what what he he knew who, who he needed for this, you know. And he got some jazz musicians that he needed, and he he really filled out the band and and who he used to 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 get this type of a sound. You know, you you're not going to get this th- those types of bass lines with a, with a rock bassist. You're just right. not going to, no. you know. So the fact that he was able to kind of get those those musicians and and transpose it onto what he was doing is, I think, is a triumph. Well, it's a testament to him as well that he actually, you know, some of these people he actually knew, he actually met. He's he was a big fan of Weather Report. Um, he wanted to impress Joe Zawinul with this with some of the stuff on this record. And, yeah, Joe Zawinul uh, is the leader of Weather Report. Uh, Weather Report. For, for those yeah, who are not so into he, the whole jazz fusion thing, so Weather he Report was, is- <laughs> So he was um, looking to impress some people. But, you know, the fact that he even knew some of these people is is is, is wild to me. Because, you know, Genesis at that point had a had a fan base. It, it was They were, you know, big on the prog circuit. But they weren't, you know, making hit records. It's, you know, they weren't, like, huge in the sense that they were – such a big band in the sense of the, you know, of making like top 10 records and that yeah, kind of and thing. And having so, all those, and having all those connections right. that you would think they have, you know what it right. is though. I think we're leaving a little something out. We're just going to, I'm just going to skip back really quick to like 1975, that era. Mm-hmm. Phil Collins was also in brand X. So Which was some of that fusion band. Yeah. Yep. So some of that might've come, he, that, some of that exposure might've been coming from that. So yep. this, not only was he in Genesis, he had, he was in brand X, which is like a, a jazz fusion thing. And then he's doing his solo thing. So, so that maybe, maybe some of that exposure and some of those connections came from there. And then he was sure. able to cash in on it. Mm-hmm. So now skipping back. Um, so next up after, after this must be love, which is just a really, t- it's a, it's just a, an easy listen. It's just so simple. It's light. Um, it's breezy. Yeah. It, it's, it's a simple melodic line and it just kind of, it, it just kind of gets you going. And the and great then, singer songwriter, Stephen Bishop, for those of you, uh, he had a hit on and on in the, in the late seventies. Um, was it 79, 80 around that I time? Think so. Yeah. Tremendous voice. I mean, those the really high falsetto type of voice singing background vocals on this and you know him and Phil going you know harmonizing those high end vocals was was amazing which by the way would happen a lot on this album with Phil singing like falsetto backing vocals who does that yeah. who chooses to do like a high you know high pitched voice to to sing backing vocals it's a, you know a lot of the songs are like that so yeah but yeah, uh, so, great, then- great great track <clears throat> yeah, it's it's incredible. Like I said, it, it's it's there's a lot there for for everybody. Um, and then behind the lines, which we talked about, which is a remake of of a track from Duke, sped up, meaning you know, again, not Chipmunky, but really brought up tempo and and really uh, it, kind of he R and beat it. He uh, like bl- sold it up a little. Like it oh, really absolutely. sounds. It's, it's a sound. It definitely sounds like like something like a Motown track. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just got this this like buoyancy to it. 
that, that yeah. really kind of like it's it's really kind of the version from Duke is just kind of a straight up you know we'll, we'll for lack of a better term we'll call it more poppy for Genesis and there's nothing wrong with that very accessible but this one really has a totally different flavor to it the lyrics weren't the lyrics are, are the same he didn't change anything about it just really the arrangement and it's like a totally different song the arrangement the he brought like we mentioned before he brought in the horn section for Earth Wind and Fire they're known as the Phoenix Horns. Tom Tom Washington is the arranger for for that that horn section. He brought he brought him in. Phil would write down the sort of the groove, like he in dots, like little like almost like Morse code, like you know, and presented to Tom Tom. This is what I want the horns to play, and they did exactly that. Yeah. And they were all like amazed that Phil had the ear to sit down and really work this out in his head. And this is and he got exactly what he wanted from them. You know, yeah, there was, and, and, it wasn't heavily labored over. It wasn't, they, he, they just came in and did it. And that's amazing. You know, and, yeah, the song, and, and to me, the song is, it, it sounds like a jazz, an R&B song. There, to me, there's nothing phony about it. That some people might think, oh, it's Phil Collins. So there's, it's not as, you know, it's not the real deal kind of thing. But for me, it is the real deal. It's, it's amazing. You know, the yeah, arrangement and he, and he would, he would continue, you know. He would continue that relationship with the Phoenix Horns through a while, and he and he did get some flack for it, for for quote unquote stealing stealing the Earth, Wind, and Fire sound. But you know what? You 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 got to go with what you want, and and if they're willing to do it, he didn't steal anything. It's not like he kidnapped them and and, and yeah. held them for ransom. So so good on him, and and it really works, and and it'll come up through this album. So then the next song, and and the thing is, a lot of these songs kind of. Uh, fade into each other that there's not really any gap you know so so you yeah. really kind of get an experience of one song drifting into another yeah. which, which kind of keeps you engaged and you know that leads into the roof is leaking which is really kind of a slow song it's it's mm-hmm. really a, a a serious track it was meant to be uh he wanted to invoke a sort of like bluesy kind of the odd thing about phil collins i learned years later is that he is a huge fan of like frontier life like the wild west and he's like i think he's got one of the biggest collections of alamo memorabilia oddly enough um so the song evokes hardship and you know the winter you know on the farm and that kind of thing and he wanted to you know kind of get a kind of a bluesy kind of a feel for it so he had uh none other than eric clapton come in to play slide dobro on the song on the original track however as Eric was doing back in those days, I mean, he came in drunk. The story goes that he came in drunk. Phil wanted it done in one take. It was going to be like just simple. Just got He put Eric through his paces with that, trying to get it right. And because he tried to get it right so many times, he ended up not using Eric at all. You know, he brought in another uh, slide player named Joe Partridge to play on the song and Daryl Sturmer, who would become another member of Genesis, you know, when they went trio, he is, he picked that he was another uh, person they hired. He's the guitarist, you know, another jazz player to, and he played banjo on the, on the track. So he wanted that sort of precise, you know, feel to it. Looking back on it, I think they was going over. If you watch the the classic album series, if you're familiar with those videos back in the day, like the late nineties, you, you could you could find them on YouTube. I think they're actually on Prime, Amazon Prime. There are f- quite a few of them. Um, they actually he actually he's actually sitting there with Hugh Padgham and and, and going through the track. And he they found that original version with Eric, and it just I, I can only wish that that was put on the on the album because yeah. 
that Dobro was, and he goes, in retrospect, this is what it should have been. Should have kept it. Should have kept, kept it. it. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe, oh. maybe on a, a super ultra special deluxe version. Because, well, I think you know, the, there's never any any definitive version of anything well, that think, comes out anymore. I so, think in 2016, with the re-release of the record, yeah. um, there is a demo. I don't know if it's that, if it's that version or not because it's it. so muddy. Yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, so yeah. I'm sure someone can do something with it. Mm-hmm. So then, and then that that song, uh, "Roof Is Leaking," leads into "Droned," which is really kind of a short pretty much an instrumental but it's so short it's almost it's almost like a almost like a, a placeholder for what's about to come, to which, come which, right. yeah which is my favorite al- favorite track on the album and it's an instrumental i mean it's got vocalizations in it but but there's no no singing per se there's no singing of lyrics there, there's a couple of different children's choirs that were used uh, the name of the song is hand in hand and i absolutely love this song and when i was when i was laying down listening to this you know the, the 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 children's choir kind of just sings this same kind of melodic line over and over with a bunch of laws and and whatnot. When they did it the second time, I for some reason I wasn't prepared for it or or I was really receptive to it, and I got I got literally got chills down my spine. I, I was like, oh my god, it, it's a it's an upbeat uh, instrumental. It's got the horns on it. It's got Phil. You know, it's got Phil just pl- playing the drums and, and just a whole a, a really band effort. And, and yeah, it's not progressive. It's not like his gen. It's not like always doing a little Genesis thing. It's just an amazing song. And for some reason, I latched on to this over every other track on the album when I heard it. There was something about Hand in Hand that that excited me then. And I'm I'm glad to say all these years later, when I heard it, it, it literally gave me chills. And I was so happy. I, I actually had a little bit of an emotional reaction that that I was able to kind of experience a song again like that. Almost for the first time. Yeah. Well, it's never it's never lost its appeal for me. Um, one of the great drum performances on this on this song. Yeah. Too. It's 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 so sublime. Yeah, you could just tell they're they're just co- they're they're just cooking mm-hmm. on this song. I oh, mean, yeah. it's like oh, yeah. it's like it, it it like you could feel it. You could feel them kind of you know. It starts out a little you know slow, meaning just with a little kind of little beat, and and it builds up, and the choir mm-hmm. comes in, and the children are are, are singing and. And then the horns kick in, but but by the time this song gets cooking, they're they're really like it's like a train that's not stopping, right. uh, you know, because everybody's just kind of into it. The, the vocals are going on. I'm getting excited just talking about it. I'm getting tingly. <laughs> like the vocals are going, you know, the horns are going, the drums are going. I mean, everybody's just in sync and just kind of moving this song along, you know. Yeah. And then it, it 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 gets the perfect second song after it, which is I missed again. Just want to take a quick moment. And thank you for listening. Your your support means so much to Eric and I. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, so please subscribe. It would be awesome. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, a rating and review would be doubly awesome. And your feedback is invaluable. So let's keep the conversation going on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast. You can let us know how we're doing. If you have any requests, you can post them there. Or if you just want to talk about one of the episodes or ask a question, we'd love to interact with you and we absolutely look forward to it. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. This was the second song that also hit number 19 in addition to In the Air Tonight. So if you're if you're a numbers person, you could say that this was as good as In the Air Tonight as far as chart performance, right? Yep. It was it charted yeah. the same if you're going to go that route. I missed again is again another one of those horn he just keeps he just keeps this groove going is is what it is. He was really able to sustain it throughout this album. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you if you're looking at it from the vinyl standpoint, it's the first song on side two. Yep. 
So you you know you turn it over and, and, and right, yeah right out the gate he's it, it happens again like you leave with hand in hand and the, there it is you know uh, tremendous yeah. uh, it starts off with this sort of moat that classic Motown intro drum intro and it just it's yeah he just his influence is there the, all the stuff that he loves is there his you know the music very very strong um, Black American music on this album. I mean, it's just his love for that kind of music is is so strong. I think it kind of raised some eyebrows. And, you know, I think there was some stories that, you know, it, you know, people, you know, black stations at the time didn't really want to play the stuff. And there was this sort of, the, he got some heat for having the horns on. Yep. And it's it, Hugh Pageant points out in that classic uh, albums uh, video that it's amazing to him that people still, had these kinds of you know problems with that back in the day. Like you, you, you know, when you were a kid, you don't think about you know this kind of stuff crossing over and that kind of thing. It's just great that he has all these great musicians. That's all I cared about. I didn't care who was black, who was white, who were you know whatever. It's just a testament to you know his love for just music in general. I mean, and and that would carry over to you know other artists as well. So, but uh, but moving on to the next yeah. track. Yeah, is is you know what I mean, which which does slow down the tempo mm-hmm. tempo a little bit. So really, what he, and I think the song, uh, the track order is really important, right? Because you said hand in hand kind of closes out the first side if we're, if we're talking about an album or a cassette um, on a high note. And yeah, that momentum is carried through in I missed again, and it kind of it kind of gets you going again. And then he's able to slow it down with with another with another ballad. And I really hate to say ballads because I don't you know. These are slower songs, but I don't I don't think them as ballady, you know, because they're so, I, I know because they're so personal. Because they're so personal. When you um, think of ballad, you think of the heavy production sense, and these songs are, are, are yeah. very very simple. Celine Dion or, or yeah. something like that, like, <laughs> exactly. like, like those like that type of well, a ballad. Th- these are more personal songs, and, and they're just they're they're down tempo, but yeah. and they're very sparse. You know, it's it's like mm-hmm. piano. And and there's yeah. not much to it, so I, I don't look at it as as the typical bout like Babe or something like that. It's it's different for me. Well, it, it, interestingly enough, the, the, his his own song "Against All Odds," which was a big hit in 1984, was actually supposed to be on this record. It was written for this album, but it was omitted because he felt there were one too many slow <laughs> slow tracks. So that became a hit later on. But that had the, the the heavy, like you say, you know, ballady type production and that you know kind of thing going on. But yeah, this song, another gorgeous uh, little song. He yeah. uh, his work. You know, he, he knows was, when to pull it back, and and, and yeah. that's what's important is he 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 goes for it on the up tempo stuff and 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 puts the horns in, but he he doesn't use it to just because like oh I've got access to the Phoenix horn, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to make sure I get my money's worth. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's used when it's need to. And, and it's pulled back when it's not, when it, when it needs to really get personal. And then he rolls into another up-tempo song with mm-hmm. Thunder and Lightning, yeah. which is a great song. I, I like this song. Which it's is just one a, of it's my just favorites. A good, it's a good yeah. Phil Collins song. It's it's like kind of akin to where he was going, but it, but it's like an early early crack at the yeah, pop, I lo- I at love the pop it. stuff. I love, I love the vocal performance on it. He's got that really sort of scratchy, like he starts belting out the lyrics on it. It's not a soft-spoken vocal, especially in the chorus. Some really nice guitar work from Daryl Sturmer on this uh, nice little solo there. So he gave him some love, you know, you know, with that gave him. And the I just love when the hand claps come in at the end, you know, and he's just the groove of that, and just you know. So yeah, another just just catchy, another great tune. 
little bit slower than behind the lines and, you know, hand in hand and, you know, but it, 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 it's great. And then of yeah, course, it's still in the, it's still in that vein. It's still, right. it still yeah. keeps, it, it, you know, it, you, you kind of, you kind of get a little personal song with, with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then he says, all right, you know what? We're not going to drag you. We're not going to keep that dragging you down like that. Let's get thunder and lightning. And then it follows up with, I'm not moving, which is kind of a short, you know, kind of almost experimental for him where he's, where he's playing around and doing, and doing all the, vo- the backing vocals. Right. And kind of, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like a quick, it's like a kind of like a little quick hit. I, um, again, I, I, another underrated song. I love it. Yeah. It, it. To me, it evokes something that Paul McCartney might've done in yeah. like, sort of like the late like 70s. Yeah. Like the, like wings, <laughs> like the, those last couple of albums that wings did. So it kind of reminds me of that. And again, it, it might very well be the case since he, you know, he was a Beatles fan, you know, yeah. a huge Beatles fan. So, um, yeah. so yeah, there's yeah. a little vocoder effects. He was, yeah, he was using a vocoder in, uh, for the background vocals on that song, which was kind of odd. But again, like you said, a very experimental. He was experimenting with different sounds and textures. Yeah, getting, cool. getting to know, yeah, yeah getting to know yeah. what he was, what he was trying to capture. Right. And, then, and then it moves yeah. into, and then it moves into If Leaving Me Is Easy, which there, there's not this is just a, a, a song of, of like atmosphere and feel because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of lyrics. It's barely any lyrics. It's, no, it's but- you know, there's not a lot to it. So it's really about the emotion. Like I said, like the feel that you get from it and, and the less is the less is more aesthetic that he's going for with some of these songs that need it. You know, he's not, he's not pile driving you with this, with some of these songs and he's, and he really had a, a, a deft touch to understand what stuff needed that that extra care, and yeah. where then where he could punch it up and have fun and throw the horns in and 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 keep you keep you involved, but then also give you something something like this, which is really it's a you know it, it's a it's a serious song, not much to it, but it is so evocative of of just the emotion. Well, um, this I I back in the day, I remember when I first heard it, I flipped over this song. I, I would play this song probably more than any, believe it or not, any other track on the album. Why? I have no idea. I, I think it 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 was the, just the overall sound of it. It kind of to me, it sounds like an old Philly soul song. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you think of like uh, you know, like me and Mrs. Jones, or you know, one of those tunes. Like I love that heavy sense of production back in the day. That lush strings and horns and that kind of thing. That's what he, I think he was going for. And I think it's his favorite track off the album himself. He said, you know, aside from in the air tonight, which I'm probably most proud of, this was probably my favorite song. And when yeah, he performed it, yeah. When it's, he performed it's all, it's all atmosphere. This song yeah. is like atmosphere. It's, it's a feeling it, it's, and he, and he does succeed. He's trying to just to evoke a, and me and Mrs. Jones is a great, a great contrast yeah. because that, that song gives is a certain feeling to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's what this is. It, it's he's he uses stuff sparingly and, and uses it enough, and that's the whole key. I was I and was then, actually when we went to see him at Radio City, I I was so glad that he played it. He did. And, I don't remember. Yeah, wow. he did. He 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 did, and I was so happy about that. The story goes though is that he had to drop it from the tour because people kept talking because it's so quiet and so like yeah. people were like whistling and like just being just, you know, like really, and he actually get angry. He would like actually yeah. yell at the crowd, like, you know, sort of jokingly, of course, but just be like, shut up, you know, like, <laughs> cause he's trying to get through the song and it's just really personal, like, you know, but it didn't quite fit, I guess the 
So he had to drop not, not for that tour. No. Yeah, not no. not especially when right. when he's playing Susudio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you know like that can lose my number I, and yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't it doesn't you know him trying to get the audience to buy in on it when when his yeah. tour is called Phil Collins and the Hot Tub Club. Right. Um, a yep. little difficult when you're going to go when you're going to go hard uh, on something like this. That's emotional. Obviously, for him, he wanted to yeah. get it across. But you know, if people are getting up and getting T-shirts, you might need to. Right. You might need to reevaluate. It's, and, it's that and then kind of song. The the last track, for me, is a head scratcher. You know, I listen to it again and I can appreciate it, but I still, you know, I may, maybe it's just the title or maybe it's it's his Beatles fandom or fan whatever fanboy um but he do, he does a cover of tomorrow never knows which is we'll we'll say it's a obs- very obscure beatles song from revolver it's very for the beatles it was very experimental it was a john lennon vocal it, you know it was it was the beatles really kind of pushing the experimental to the edge before they went into sergeant pepper and kind of came you know did everything they needed to do being being weird and experimental experimental and then just kind of progressing their their sound and what they could do and tomorrow never knows we used a lot of backwards loop yeah. tapes with John Lennon and just it's all a, the weirdness it's, it's a it's a wonder of 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 recording at the time cuz they managed to get all of those sounds on four tracks yeah which is so, amazing. So Phil took so, a crack at it, right? Yeah. He, he, I mean, he yeah. did. He 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 pretty much mimicked it. He didn't do an exact duplicate. And you can't really you can't really adapt this song to any type of other well, genre. Well, first of all, it's very slow. It's it's much slower than the than the Beatles version. And yeah, why tomorrow never knows. This was his tribute to John Lennon, who of course had been killed a year earlier. So yeah, but why tomorrow never knows. I I don't really know the reason. I think I know he likes the song. I know he you know the the drumming on that album Revolver was was big. You know he was a huge fan of Ringo. He loved the drums on Tomorrow Never Knows. But why he decided to to do that? I I think it has something to do with the fact you know what's what's something like in the air tonight opening the album. I think he wanted to have something to kind of close it out. Yeah, could be somewhat could be. in the same vein where he's doing all this, this weird experimental kind of stuff. And he would take like different things and actually hand in hand. It was like, he played that backwards. You could, so you could hear those voices that gave you chills before like the kids voices slowed down. That's them with that weird, like at the, at the very end, it's like, you know, that, and try playing that song in the dark with the headphones on it scared the crap yeah, out I of did. me the first time I heard it. <laughs> And, so, and, you know, I wasn't sure if I liked it, but it, it was, it was an odd choice. He could have picked yeah. anything. Why not imagine? Why not Strawberry Fields or something, you know, one of the more well-known John Lennon songs, but he chose this one and I, I, I applaud him for it, you know, may yeah, not be and, and, everybody's taste, but yeah, I, I loved it. So. Yeah. And, and for me, actually, when I had heard this, I hadn't hit my Beatles period yet. So actually mm-hmm. full, full disclosure, I heard this version of tomorrow never knows before I heard the Beatles. Mm-hmm. So I was more familiar with this before. And then a few years later, I would really go full, you know, full speed head on crashing into the Beatles and, and then got into it and be like, Oh, and then I was making the comparison. So for me, it was kind of like, you know, yeah, tomorrow never knows. It's like, okay, it's this weird song at the end and whatever. And yeah. Oh, oh it's a Beatles song. Okay. And I still hadn't gotten to that point in, in my listening music yeah. listening journey where the Beatles would uh, become everything all encompassing, right? Which <laughs> happens for most people. So, and then oddly enough, as the song ends, though, he's you can hear him very lightly singing, very gently singing over the rainbow at the very end. He closes out the album 
singing the lyrics to Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's his, that's, that was his tribute to John Lennon. That's yeah. what it was. So, that's what that was about. So closing that, you know, out with that was, you know, his, his sort of goodbye, his farewell, if you will. Yeah. Epitaph, you know, kind of thing. So it was, it was a nice little touch, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And, and it, 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 it <clears throat> kind of closes it out. So yeah, yeah. it definitely gives, it, it definitely gives you something different. It is not anything like anything, everything before, but again, it was in tribute for, to John Lennon. So uh, if that's the song he connected to, then, and he did it just, he absolutely did the song justice. So there's nothing, nothing against the song. It's just an odd choice. And it's, it's an choice, odd yeah odd duck in, in, in this I, album, which well, I, I love, like it. I said, well, like I said, it perfectly bookends, you know, you got in the air tonight and this, and I, I think it works, you know, yeah. and, and try playing that song loud, turn that shit up. I mean, it is, it is, and that's when you really get, you feel it. And especially when he kicks in with the harmony vocals, when he's harmonizing with himself, that's what gets me going. It's like, wow, this is so much sound and so much texture. And it's one of one of the best things he ever did, like you know, recording wise, in my opinion. And for an album that is somewhat not overly produced, you know, you could really feel like his stuff is like it most definitely in the forefront. So what he's doing is right there in the front, you know, his piano, his drums, his vocals, and everybody else on the album kind of lets him have that space. They're not overcrowding him with like all these great players and and really coming in and, and, you know, overwhelming it with a lot of like heavy production. So it is a very lightly produced record. Yeah. Very, very smart, very smartly produced and very, uh, very economical is what I'd call it. It's this, you know, you, when the bass needs to be highlighted, you hear it and you love it. It, It's, it's there. It's right on point. Yeah. It's, it's tasty. It's full sounding and, and it's, it's where it's supposed to be in a compliment uh, to the, to, to the song. So very much. So this album, you know, is, is very much a departure from the prog sound of Genesis, uh, probably a lot of head scratching back then. Mm-hmm. Now we look at it as, yeah, this was like the birth of Phil Collins and, and my little thing, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a sucker for the bass lines in this song just because they're so prevalent and used so well. So if you love to hear bass in a song, this is your album because it, it's so clear and it's so done so well and respected. Like you can just hear it. You can hear all the different instruments too. I just really like the way this was, this album was, was put together and it just kind of really, everything fits. And, and he, he was just so brilliant at, at this. And but why, um, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think this? So it's because it's all rhythm. He's a drummer. So those instruments like piano, key, have, you know, keyboards, drum, you know, bass guitar, of course, those are going to be in the forefront. You know, because he's, that's you know, it's the groove of the thing. That's that's what so, keeps it going. So you know, yeah. And and, and now we come to twenty twenty one, or actually <laughs> twenty 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 also. And, and, yeah. and Phil Collins, uh, you know, in the air tonight has always been around. It's it's a staple of of album oriented rock stations, classic rock stations. It's it's in there. It's always going to be there, but. There's a new sensation on on YouTube, and it's something called reaction videos. Mm-hmm. And I watch a lot of reaction videos. There's a reaction video to everything. You could watch someone else. Basically, it's it's you watching someone else watch something or listen to something, usually for the first time, and yeah. getting their reaction to it. So a lot and of times, I, I like it. to watch the I like to watch those because it does help me revisit it again. When I see somebody get excited listening to something that I listen to and I take for yeah. granted. And I yep. see them get excited or have an emotional reaction. It, there is some value. It would sound weird that I'm going to watch somebody watch something else or listen to something else, but it is kind of uh, it, it helps you it helps you kind of recapture 
the the innocence of it when when someone else is hearing it for the first time. So so there's a reaction video by uh, a YouTube channel. Uh, they're called Twins: The New Trend. That's the name of their channel, and they did a reaction video to to this. And of course, you know, with these reaction videos, as soon as that drum segment kicks in, everyone's head explodes. And and their reaction video to In the Air Tonight has eight point four million views. Okay. That's, That's 8.4 million. Probably uh, I would split the difference. Probably half the people are older people that know it to watch the reaction. But, but some of them are, are a lot of them are those subscribers that follow, follow twins, you know, twins, the new trend that are exposed to this for the first time. Because if you go and you look up on YouTube, Phil, uh, in the air tonight reaction, you'll see everybody jumped on the bandwagon. Now everybody's doing a reaction. Their mind is being blown when they hear the drum break. Right. Uh, you know, but, but twins, the new trend really started it and, and really capitalized on it and really brought, you know, kind of Phil Collins, you know, into, into, Back into, the, into the new century. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's kind of a, you know, it's such a strange thing how, you know, it, it's great how how younger people or people that haven't been exposed to this type of music are open to yeah. listening to it and let me hear it and let me get a, let me get a true reaction and and that's where the reaction videos are, kind of keep it alive. It's, it and, is and like it, it's like you said. It, it's it's gratifying to see these young kids really get into the stuff and it, and it, and you could see that you know they're genuinely like impressed by this stuff and it just it blows my mind. Uh, watching and it's it's movies too. Like why I, there's one I watch. This girl, she's I, you know it's it's amazing to me that she's never seen a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And so you know it's kind of weird, but then you kind of kind of take into account how old they are. Yeah. But yeah, just so it, watching their faces just is is just it's pure joy, and it's yeah, like, it's fun, and it does take you back. It does take you back, and you, you all you want to do is listen to that stuff again. You know, you want to go back and revisit it. Yeah, so, it's real. It's real neat, and it's a, it's a yeah. great way for these artists to kind of get. Uh, you know, because most people don't listen to the radio anymore, or or you're not going to listen to an oldie station. But if you get it, you get exposed to it this way, and then hopefully they they continue the journey. You know, why why should someone listen to this now? Well, we've seen we've seen the power of the re- the reaction video, but why should someone listen to this whole album? Right? It's very easy to go watch the reaction video and 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 see people get excited by it. But what what does the whole album have? Well, for me, um, for me, I, I think it's, I think it's you, you, you go for in the air tonight, right? You, 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 you listen to this album to hear in the air tonight, mm-hmm. but you stay. The reason why you stay is to hear an intimate album, you know, by someone who's, who's, ju- again, you, you can't judge Phil Collins by Phil Collins. Now you have to go back where he was an un. You no know, one knew who Phil Collins was, and and you know, him doing this album to to kind of get these these thoughts and these feelings out in this way. Stay for that, and 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 go on, and and you'll feel you'll feel how he was feeling. Well, that's the thing too. It's like it's not just it wasn't just him wanting to just make songs about his divorce, and the, you know he had a chance, an opportunity, an end, if you will, to to really express musically the stuff that he loves. But by you know writing these songs, they were sort of they they kind of went together, and you know he was able to do both. He was able to kind of tell a little bit about himself, not just about his, you know, what was kind of happening at that point, but going back into his youth. And so it is kind of like a sort of a, a you know, a, a bit of a, a journal, if you will, or a tapestry in, in a sense of his life. It's, this is, this is like, this is where I'm at right now, but this, let me show you what, what I, you know, dug back in the day. This is, this was me 
So it it is a very much it is a very me is all over. If you look at the I have the I actually have it right in front of me the the inner sleeve of the album. If you look at it, there's like pictures, like little photographs of like like Polaroids that he took, and and all I see is me all over this thing. Is this is me? This is what I played. This is what you know. This I'm hanging out with this guy, whatever. So it is a very sort of like a, a almost like a journal. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a journey, and and um, I I kind of saw that right away, and I think that's what attracted me to it. Like I said before, it's one of the first records that that I cared about what the songs were about. Not just, and, and of course, it had all those great hooks and all that all that great music with it, which was a blessing. And so everything just kind of works with this record. Call it what you will. Some people might say, "Oh, it's lightning in a bottle." Is it you know because he wouldn't quite for me. Personally, as a fan, you know, he wouldn't quite capture, recapture this, this, uh, this, the tone of this record with all this other other stuff kind of built up, became more and more produced, more and more, you know. Well, he did polished. go into bigger and better. So, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make the yeah. argument that th- this was the start of something and, yeah. and, you know, but, he but, basically was, was pretty much either between him, his solo work and Genesis pretty much almost had something out almost every year. Yeah. of the eighties. I mean, so yeah, he's very, yeah. very prolific. This, this really started him on, on that process and on that path to kind of realizing and, and, and doing those things that he loved with his solo work and still trying at least at some point before they really lost grip of, of maintaining the prog aspects of, of Genesis, trying to keep those fans happy, but they still also needed to develop uh, Genesis as a band needed to develop also. And they weren't going to mm-hmm. keep doing the same thing anyway. It, it's a brilliant album. Uh, it, it's, it's really is a great piece of work. It's, it's got so much melodic stuff. It's got just beautiful lyrics. It's got a great vocal performance from him. And like I said, a, a spine tingling song for me. So I, this is, this song, this album will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, I, I agree. But every song for me is spine tingling. <laughs> That's how much awesome I love God. this record. So yeah, de- de- definitely yeah. check this out. It, it's it's yeah. available everywhere, and, and like I said, it's an, it's a really great listen. Highly highly recommend. Put I'm, I'm going to ask in, in closing. I'll ask this: like whatever assumptions you have about Phil Collins, and, and you know he does the Tarzan soundtrack, and he did this, and he did the corny videos. Mm-hmm. Kind of try and back burner that, and and it, I know it's difficult. Try and make like that is a different Phil Collins, and then listen to this album by itself, and and I think you'll kind of appreciate. Where, where he was at this time before every, you know, he, he jumped on the, the rocket to success and it took him into the stratosphere. That is Phil Collins. That is face value. value. Again, that came in, in 1981. So we want to thank you for taking this trip with us mm-hmm. on the 3324 podcast. We always appreciate you listening and joining us and, and giving us your feedback. We've got all the different links on social media, so you can definitely go check us out. For Eric, I'm Dean, and we're going to talk to you next time. You've been listening to the 3324 Podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 